Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. And I hope and pray you have your paper Bible and you don't have your, what I call the phony Bible. <laughs> I told Alex I was going to say that. Go, oh, don't say that. It was a, no, I just, I have my own personal beliefs and such. But one thing, now you guys know there's a Laker game on, there's a Dodger game on. So if you have your phone and you get these little messages, turn it all off. You can, of course, read your Bible on your phone, but I call it the phony Bible. So, Anyhow, 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, at such short notice, I decided to grab a study out of 1 Peter that we've been going through in the men's study, and uh, we actually just finished up the book. It was a great time with the guys. Can't wait till next year. I already got the book the Lord wants for next year for you guys. But tonight, the title of the message is Ready for War, and Peter in this book, amazing book, perfect for us when we were going through all the stuff with covid um, he's writing to, he's writing from Rome, it's about 64 AD, and he's writing to all those who are suffering, the scattered Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, there east of Rome in what is called modern-day Turkey. And now these guys were truly suffering. Now we think we're suffering because we got the mass, we got to separate, we got all the nonsense, and it, we're not suffering. When you read this stuff, and I, you know, we get to heaven, and these, these saints are there, and they come up to you, they're going to say, what are you guys whining about? Here's some real suffering. They were being put to death for their faith. They were being rejected by their families. The Jews were kicking them out. They were being under persecution from the Roman government. And even though they were not in Rome, they were still suffering because the Roman Empire, of course, at that time was huge. So Peter here, in our, in our chapter, he, he goes through all kinds of stuff. He encourages them with a living hope that is Christ. He tells them they're the chosen generation. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to lift them up in their suffering and their persecutions because any of them at any time could have died, could have been put to the stake, burned, thrown to the lions, whatever. So he's encouraging them. He goes all through this. And now as he starts to conclude the book in chapter four, verse number seven, he starts out with this. Now, remember, we oftentimes go through a book in the Bible. It takes us months and months and months and months. And of course, we can read it. You can read this book in 10 minutes. And that's how it was when they first got this letter from Peter to be read to all the churches. And so they're, whoever's reading it to them, they're reading this thing at one setting, and they come to verse 7 of chapter 4. Imagine you're sitting there. Here's the apostle Peter, the big dude of the church at the time. And what does he say? But the end of all things is at hand. Other translation says, the world is coming to an end. Imagine you're sitting there. Now, they're thinking, what does Peter know that we don't know? What is going on here? Why would he make such an incredible statement? Well, in reality, things were going from bad to worse. And he was preparing their hearts really for what was coming and what was already happening. Now, it is believed by the historians that Rome was burned down on July 18th, 64 AD. And, and we believe this Letter was written about the same time. So Peter, probably seeing what was taking place in Rome, understanding that the Neronian persecution was just going to go through the roof. They hadn't seen anything yet. In six short years, as we are told, Jerusalem was gone, burned, destroyed. What was going on? They know that, the, that Nero, he was so crazy, he would take Christians, tie him to the stake, put him in his garden, dip him in wax and light him on fire. Crazy. And he would drive his chariot through screaming like a madman. And they believe that really Nero, 
he's the one that started the fire in Rome, but he, want, he had to have a scapegoat because he was under a lot of pressure. So the word went out, the lie went out that it was the Christians who started this fire, which caused even more of this persecution to take place. And then, of course, we see that in this thing that was happening, Peter himself was being sought after. He knew that his time was short. He writes the book of 2 Peter, they believe in 65 AD, and in 66 AD he was dead. He says in 2 Peter 1.14 that knowing that I shortly must put off my tent, he knew that the end was coming. The end of all things is at hand, and I believe that Christians of every generation have looked at their world, they've looked at what's going on in this crazy world like us today, and have thought that this is it. What Peter was referring to prophetically was speaking of our time right now, and I thought about this, and and some of you, I'm sure we're alive, but imagine being as you are right now, today, our age, and it's August of 1945. Anybody remember what took place then? I didn't, but I'll, I'll tell you what happened. That's when we dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Imagine the news that came from that. Imagine us as Christian believers. Imagine you're even going through the book of 1 Peter. What are you thinking? Absolutely, the end of all things is at hand. And it's important that every generation really kind of keeps that in focus. But when we look at the end of time, end of days, end of, of our time here on earth. What are the signs? What are the times? Now, of course, if you've been a part of Calvary for any length of time, that was always kind of a, a marching order, man. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. How many of you guys remember when we had the, the sign up here that said, come quickly, Lord Jesus? Remember that? I mean, it was, that was it. And yet we waited, waited. I know that Pastor Chuck believed that he would not die before the rapture of the church. But it doesn't mean that it can't happen today. It doesn't mean that the end isn't happening right now. Nobody knows for sure, but we know that Jesus spoke of these things. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, and we'll see what Jesus said. Now, Pastor Jeff just covered this, but what was it going to be like before the Son of Man returns? Luke 17, let me hear your pages out there. Come on, turn in your Bibles. I'm going to make you work here. You got you to you know the addresses to these things. I tell you to the men's ministry all the time. I'll take him through 10 scriptures on a night we're teaching there. You got to know the word. So Luke 17, verse 26, Jesus, of course, he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So he goes through a couple of answers. Then he says this here in 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so are we also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, verse 28, 28, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone and heaven, from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus says here, this is what's going to happen. So So what was happening in the days of Noah? What was happening in the days of Lot? Well, all we need to do is turn to the scripture. I'm not going to make you turn there. I'll read them for you. But in Genesis, it talks about really what was going on in the days of Noah. Noah spoke about it, Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts 
of his heart was only evil continually. Then in chapter 6, verse 11, 12, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Sounds like today's news. Turn it on. And then you got San Jose right over all the news. I mean, see what was happening then is the same as what is happening now. They totally ignored the signs of the times. Noah built the boat for how long? 120 years? Come on. Somebody didn't go, well, maybe we ought to pay attention to this guy. No, not a single one of them. Only eight were saved. Totally ignored. It was a wicked, violent, hateful, and sinful people. And of course, that's today. About Lot's time. Lot's time, a little bit different. The same, but a little bit different. What was going on? What's the the big deal about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, this verse, Genesis 19, 4 through 5. Of course, the angels came to Lot to pull him out. And as the angels got to Lot's door, the men of the city heard, hey, there's two guys, two, uh, two young dudes that have just showed up. Let's go see what we can find out. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called a lot and said to him, hey, where are the men that came with you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. We may know them sexually. Jude talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 7, and Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So likewise, in Lot's time, they were going about life as usual, but they did not realize how sexually perverse they had become. Sound like any place that we live, maybe? And we see how crazy, how unbelievable, how we wouldn't believe some of the stuff that is taking place, even in our own nation, our own country, our own state. So these examples of what the world would be like before Christ returns, that's, Peter says, therefore. But the end of all things is at hand, therefore. What does he say? Therefore. He says, really, ultimately, to them, he's saying, be ready for war, you guys. Be ready for war. They were to be ready in the physical sense as much as the spiritual sense. We today are to be ready more for the spiritual war rather than the physical. I honestly, I was thinking about this. Do you know anybody who's ever been beat up for being a Christian? I don't know a single person. I've been a Christian 33 years now. I don't know anybody who's been beat up for being a Christian. Now, is that happening around the world? Absolutely. Are people dying for Christ? Absolutely, but not here. But what is the real battle that me and you face daily? It's that spiritual battle. It's the one that Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 talks about. Anybody know that passage of scripture? I don't see any hands raised, so that means you got to turn there. Ephesians chapter 6. Turn the pages. You got to know this address. This is it's so, I'm, I'm sure most of you, oh, hopefully all of you have this thing completely underlined and notes all over the place. But here's the spiritual warfare that Paul was talking about that, of course, was happening in Peter's day as well as the physical. We suffer mainly the spiritual warfare from our our enemy, our adversary. Paul says it like this, verse 10 of chapter 6, Ephesians. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So our battle isn't against, it isn't against your husband or your wife or your neighbors or your coworkers. It isn't that physical battle. The battle is the enemy that's in between you guys trying to get you both to knock each other out. Am I right? That's the battle that we're facing. What he says, verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. It's not a physical armor, as we know. It's a spiritual armor. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, that is today, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Here's the truth. You hold the truth in your hand right there. You got to know the truth because the truth will set you free. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What you believe, the shield of faith, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He's for you. He's on your side. He doesn't want you to be destroyed. He doesn't want you to go down. The shield of faith. Take up that shield of faith and put on the helmet of salvation, the truth that you are saved no matter how much you sin, how much you mess up. It's your belief in Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man boast. So you're saved through faith. You put on that helmet, protects you from the attacks and lies. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So the spiritual warfare that is out there is coming in many forms. It's attacking our beliefs, of course, our relationships, our churches, our faith. And as we know, so much of this warfare, so much of this spiritual warfare takes place where? Right here. I don't know how the enemy does it, but it happens to all of us where there are thoughts planted, there's imaginations put in there. There's things that, that you're thinking all of a sudden, you're, where did that come from? Where did that thought come from? Even while you're worshiping. And it's crazy. The enemy, the thoughts that come, the lies, the temptations, the images, the imaginations, the situations that aren't real. This is what's crazy. I mean, you can find yourself all of a sudden, some thought comes to your mind and you're right over here. And then the enemy's, before you know, you know what? You've divorced your wife and you, you've moved to Montana. I mean, it's like, wait a minute, get back, get back over here. I mean, here's an example. See, so you're, you're walking around and all of a sudden somebody walks by you and they give you a strange look. And you're like, all of a sudden your mind goes, what's up with that guy? Huh, he's mad dogging me. Does, does he know me? Ah, oh, he's, he's, he's trying to punk me out or something like that. Does he know who I am? I mean, I, and you go through all the thoughts and you, you know, you've taken them outside and you've, you beat them or whatever, whatever and then, then all of a sudden you look down and you see that big mustard stain from the Costco hot dog on your shirt. And you understand why he was looking at you. And yet the enemy could take that thought all the way to jail. It's crazy. Unbelievable. Peter tells them, therefore, to be serious and watchful. Of course, serious, sober-minded as opposed to being drunk and not caring about nothing, watchful. Spiritually observant, continually watching. And the idea that if an army knows that the enemy's going to attack, do they keep playing the card games? Do they keep drinking the beers that they're chilling? Do they keep 
hanging out, playing football. No, they put on the armor. They get their weapons. They get ready for the fight because the battle is on. They are serious and they are ready for war. And the crazy thing, after verse 7, he says here, but the end of all things at hand. After that, what does he say that we're to do? And here's the key tonight. He gives us three things in this passage. But we're talking, the world's coming to end. So what does he say? All right, move to Idaho or Montana. Build a bomb shelter. Take all the money out of the bank. Put more money in the bank. Hide, run. Get an educ, whatever it is. Does he say anything like that? No. Three simple things that he tells the believers to do. And really, you can use the word or the letters P-L-S. Please. It's like he's saying, please, believers, pray, love, and serve. Three simple things. That's what I love about the Bible. It's not complicated. It's not meant to be complicated. You can dig into this thing. You can go through all the doctrines. You can get all this kind of stuff. You can get all this theological knowledge, whatever, whatever, whatever. And yet Peter says, say with me, pray, love, serve. Again, pray, love, serve. That's all he says to do. The end of the world is coming. Pray, love, serve you guys. So important. That's, that's, and I love how simple it is. I love even what, what Jesus said, the greatest commandments are what? Love God, love others. Love God, love others. I love the simplicity of the Bible. I'm not a complicated guy. I'm not an intelligent guy. I'm not an educated guy. Give me the simple, the simple stuff here. That's what I need. And that's what he wants for us tonight. So number one. What does he say? He says, be serious about prayer. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be watchful, serious and watchful in your prayers. And the crazier things get in this world, the greater need that we have for prayer. And right up front, no condemnation here, because I'm going to tell you right now, prayer, as far as I'm concerned, for any Christian is probably the area where you're wishing you could do a little bit better. Am I right? Let me see the hands up there, huh? Be honest. We all say, man, I wish I'd spend more time in prayer. I wish I had more time for prayer. I wish I would, you know, it's not just rub-a-dub, thank you for the grub. It's, it's, it's something that we need to actually focus on. And this greater need that we have for prayer, Paul talks about it in chapter 4 of Philippians 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? By prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. And Jesus, of course, absolute man of prayer. We was in the garden with his disciples, though. What, did, what happened when he came back to the disciples? What did he find them doing? Such a bummer. But that would have been us. We would have been sleeping right there with the guys. He says, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Why? Why does he say watch and pray? Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing I think we're all willing. We want to be men and women of prayer. We want to be counted for that. But the flesh is weak. When it comes to our prayer lives, unfortunately, like the disciples, I think both of us are sleeping in the garden. Am I right? Especially when you go to bed at night. You try, you're, I'm going to do some prayer at night. I'm going to get into prayer. And you're like, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for this day. That was a perfect sleeping pill. It's crazy, though. We got to get serious. The church needs to get serious about prayer. You know, we got a church that is so large. And Lester, you here? Where's Lester in the back? There he is right there. Lester does the Monday morning prayer. 
Okay? I mean, bless his heart. I'm still sleeping. He's here praying. I just... But you know how many people show up for that out of this church's size? 10 maybe? 15 on a good morning? I'm convicted. Why though? Why? 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 Maybe. Maybe nobody believes the Lord's coming back. Or maybe, just like in the days of Noah and Lot, it's just business as usual. I don't look like anything's happening to me. The world is just the same as it always has been. It's crazy, out of control, evil, wicked, whatever. It's just the world. Or is there something truly happening? Because understanding that prayer is one of the areas the enemy attacks the most. He attacks your reading of the word for sure. But when we are in prayer, of course, and we're talking to God, he doesn't want any of that happening. So it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual war, you guys. We got to be serious about prayer. Why? Well, Peter says that prayer brings peace to our lives. Number one, nothing like the calming effect of sitting there and talking to Jesus. Am I right? He is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, the prince of, amen. And we get to sit and talk with him? Are you kidding me? An open invitation anytime, anywhere, any place, boldly to the throne of grace, peace to our lives. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Also, prayer keeps us close to God's heart in this idea of communion and fellowship and even what Paul talked about, about praying without ceasing, constant communion, you guys, as you go through your day. Yes, there's times that we should be in prayer, designated, hanging out, but then as we walk through our, our day, all day long, We're talking to people and we're talking to Jesus like this. And it's not schizophrenia, honest. It's a spiritual thing that we're supposed to practice. Three, though, prayer reminds us that he is able. He is able. When I'm talking to God, who is it that we're talking to? How about creator? Look at the stars. Look at the sun. Look at the moon. Creator. We're talking to the God that can do anything. Ephesians, Paul told us, 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you could ask in prayer or even think, he's able to. God is able. Number four, prayer keeps us focused on him, on him and not the problem. Don't you hate it when something comes up in your life and there's a trial, there's a situation, and you cannot stop thinking about it? and it's a negative thing, and you're overwhelmed, and you're worried, and you're scared, and you're freaking out, and you're just, you're, you're, you're a basket case. You've been kind of like immobilized, paralyzed. You can't do anything because you're thinking about this problem, thinking, thinking, thinking. No, we keep focused on him when we're in prayer. David knew this in Psalm 61. I'm not going to make you turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. Such a beautiful prayer. 61 says, Hear my cry, O God, attended to my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me where? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And he knows this. He says, verse 3, for you have been. You have been. God has been to us, you all. He has been a shelter. A shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. So he makes this declaration, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I'm going to abide in your presence forever. I'm going to be in prayer talking to you forever. And I will trust in the shelter of your wings. 
So prayer keeps us focused on God. So we need to be serious about prayer, you guys, in these last days. Number two, we need to be serious about love. Verse 8 and 9, read it with me. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Serious. He says, above all things. How many things? All things. Above all things. Have fervent love. In chapter 122, he said, love one another fervently. And this word means intently, intentionally, earnestly. And it's a picture of, uh, of Hussein Bolt running for the finish line, the greatest sprinter of all time. When he comes to the finish line, is he just kind of, well, sometimes he's doing this because he was so far ahead of everybody, but most of the time, giving it every single thing that he's got. Chest out, the, the tape right there, straining forward. That's what he's talking about. Fervent. And why the emphasis on love, you guys? Because true love, love covers a multitude of sins. Anybody need their sin covered? Or does anybody need to have someone else's sin covered in your life? Man, and this true love is the type of love that looks beyond the shortcomings of others and it recognizes that no one's perfect. We all fall short. That's the tough part about when you're not being loved the way you think you should be loved. Wait a minute. You're doing this all wrong. I'm going to show you how to do it, right? Come on, let's go outside. That kind of, no, that's, that's what we're talking about. We recognize that others are falling short. And of course, Peter's saying that in the midst of suffering and persecution, it's going to get harder and harder to maintain this kind of love. Because when you're going through a trial, when you're suffering, when you're being persecuted or whatever it is, oftentimes our human nature is to do what? Man, you start pulling in. You start pulling in the stakes. You start closing up the windows. You start rolling up your window in your car. Nope, nope, nope. It's all about, no. I mean, I'm in this war. I'm in this battle. And I got I to hunker down instead of turning and loving. And of course, a lot of this, you know, attack and such is going to come in the area of our relationships. Maybe it's, it's a, the, the finance situation with the marriage, which always seems to cause problems. And before you know it, because of maybe even COVID and such, you're suffering financially, and now you're at each other's throats. You can't make the bills. It's her fault. It's your fault. And you guys are shouting, screaming at each other because of the finances. Love covers a multitude of sins. It will cover. And of course, the enemy's goal is to come in between the relationships. He comes to steal, to kill, destroy husbands and wives, and between bosses and workers, sons and daughters, family and friends, even to the division of the church, which we have seen in this whole pandemic. It's crazy what's going on in the church. This church is saying this about that church, and that church is saying this about this church. And, and well, you're, you're a church with a mask and separation. We're the church that doesn't separate. We're the church with no mask. And, 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 and people over the pulpit are saying things about other churches. And, and the world sits back and goes, I thought you guys were Christians. E- even a non-Christian knows that a Christian should be loving each other. And yet the enemy's plan, and we need to be serious. And Peter no doubt knew this. So he says, Here, here's what fervent love looks like. Fervent love, number one, loves God and loves others. And if you remember when the Katinas came last uh, December and they had their shirts for sale, it was so cool. Love God, what else? Love people. Love God, four words. Love God, love people. I love that. And of course, Jesus, the greatest command, as I talked about earlier, simple, profound, amazing. 
Love God and love your neighbor. Simple. All, all of this summed up in those two commands. Everything, everything that was ever written in God's word, love God, love others. Man, what a world it would be. And the interesting thing about this love here, 1 John tells us in chapter 4, 7, 8, that love is proof that I've come to know Jesus. Man, how many of uh, you maybe proved that you know Jesus today or maybe you disproved that you know Jesus today and how you treated other people, how you acted, how you responded? We love God and we love others. That's fervent love. But fervent love also, number two, focuses on love and not each other no matter what the other person does. My responsibility is to keep my eyes where? Fixed on Jesus, not on you, not on others. It's my responsibility towards God. It's obedience to his word. But the tendency, of course, is that we're going to become critical and we're going to be looking at everybody else and we're going to be pointing out the fact that you're not loving very well and and, and you start looking at the little tiny speck in other people's eyes and what do you got in your own eye? You got a plank so big, you're, you're going like this and trying to, I can't see you very well. Well, yeah, you got a plank in your eye. We're more concerned about others than ourselves. Get the plank out of our own eyes. Look at how we aren't doing what we're called to do. Because you look at chapter five of Matthew, verse 40, something in there. We're not going to turn there. But that's that passage where Jesus says to love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And persecute, it's like, that's like the most impossible passage of scripture in the Bible to do, apart from the love of Christ. And yet there's no disclaimer. It doesn't say if they do this or if they are loving you, there's, there's nothing in there. I looked a bunch of times, <laughs> can't figure it out either. But that's what we're supposed to do. We're to focus on love, not each other. Number three though, let being hospitable in context here Demonstrate your love. He says, verse 9 here, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And that's a tall order for a lot of us. Now, the context is he was talking about the fact that they were to open up their homes to people, even to strangers. Not uncommon in that culture, but in the persecution and in the struggles that were going on, I only got enough for myself. I don't got enough food for anybody else. I don't got room for anybody else. Close the door. No room in the end type of thing. And yet when we think about that here, I mean, how many of you are, are gifted in hospitality? Now, I know there's a lot out there, okay? But maybe you're more like me. It's like, you know, you invite the family over and they get there at seven and at eight o'clock. Well, it's about eight o'clock here. Okay, 30, you know. And it's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, sometimes it goes better, but there's a brother on staff. I'm not going to mention his name because that embarrass him, but this guy is the most hospitable person that I know. He opens his home all the time to people. He's got people living in his house all the time. He's like, dude, I don't even want my dogs there. And you got people at the house all the time. That's what he says though. And so I wrote down some application for us because it's like, we're not being asked to open our homes to anybody that very often. It does happen. But really, it's like, why don't you be the, the good guy of the neighborhood? And that's the conviction I have, because I got a neighbor, and this guy, I, I walked by, and I think about it, I said, this guy should be a pastor. 
I'm serious. He talks to everybody. He comes in contact as he walks through the neighborhood. Me, when I go on my walk, it's usually like a prayer walk. Like, I don't want to be disturbed. Get my head down. I'm trying to, I'm trying to focus on Jesus here. Okay, will you leave me alone? No. And, and I get convicted. But he literally, I'll, he lives across the street. And so I'll be walking and I see him. Okay, and then I come back half an hour later. He's still there talking. I got to go to the store and get in the car. Hour later, he's still there talking. I'm like, does he have nothing else in life to do? And I'm so convicted. And yet he just cruises along. And I think his, his wife must do all the work around the house because he just sits out there and talks. It's crazy, though. But to be serious about love, P-L-S, serving. Number three, verse 10 through 11. And as each one has received a gift. So if I'm reading that right, we've all got a gift, at least one. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and of dominion forever and ever. Amen. Be serious about serving. Peter says, as each one has received a gift. And of course, by gift, Peter means an ability to do something or some action or task that God uses for the furtherance of the kingdom. So we saw a perfect example of that tonight. Worship team, using their gifts to bring you and me into the presence of God through worship. The guy at this sound, the light guy. By the way, how do you like the lights? Pretty cool looking, huh? I'll tell you, man, this place is so much bigger. It's wide open. All these gifts represented in even this room here. Paul talks about these gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, and he lists a bunch of them, but the most prominent, you know, maybe the gift of teaching, evangelism, administration, helps, encouragement, hospitalities we're talking about. But it's not so much the gift that's important. It's the use of the gift that Peter's talking about here. Are you using the gifts that God has given you for his kingdom? I know with COVID, it's been a little harder to do stuff in the church, but it doesn't mean you can't do something in the church or even outside the church. It's the use of the gift. Peter says, minister it to one another for others. Understanding that these gifts are given by God to us for others, not for ourselves. So the question, of course, if each one of us had received a gift, man, are we using these gifts? Are we serving in ministry? And of course, many in this room are using those gifts and it's wonderful to see it in action. It's a beautiful thing. But others, you're being bad stewards. You got that gift and I'm not using it for nobody else. I'm waiting. I'm saving it up. I'm waiting for the big shot. I'm waiting for the big show. I'm waiting for Pastor Jeff to call me at lunch, three o'clock. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> But the crazy thing is that all, number one, have some type of gift. Find out what your giftings are by simply asking God to show you. And oftentimes our gifts align with things that come naturally to us. I I naturally am kind of gifted in the area of administration. And so God is using that and he's used that gift here at the church for years. But also people have the gift of teaching. Sometimes the gift of teaching, most of the time, it's not so natural. There's, there's a work that, 
that is developed there, but some are naturals. But you think about Moses as an example. Now, Moses was a gifted leader, right? How did he do in the area of speaking? <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute, God. Get somebody else out there. Not me, not me. He had to learn more and more of that. All have some gifts. All of them have some gifts. That's the key, you guys. Find it, develop it, use it. Number two, use what God has given you. Don't waste it. Don't take it for grab it. Don't, don't let it be in vain. Be it that good steward. Step out in faith. Overcome that fear that might be there. I don't want to be an usher. I don't want to be in a security team. I don't want to be in children. You know, we, we can't even open up the children's ministry because we don't have enough teachers. So that's a call. What about the youth workers? They've all gone other places. We need more youth workers. Let the Lord speak. But also, number three, he throws us in there. Don't become prideful or puffed up in the sense that all these gifts are given by God. And the Corinthian church had a problem with the gifts, especially the gift of speaking in tongues. They thought, hmm, I got the gift of speaking in tongues. Sorry, bro, you don't got it. So I'm a little more spiritual than you. And of course, they abused the gifts and Paul blasts them for it. And he says, no, those gifts are given by God. You cannot take credit for them. They're not yours. They're God's. And you're to use them for his kingdom, for his glory. When you start taking them unto yourself, and the God's going to say, okay, you can do this on your own then, or I can help you with the gift that I've given you. So three, be serious about serving. So some application tonight as we look at this. Of course, number one, we must become serious about prayer, you guys. And this speaks about men and women being in constant communication, as Paul said, to pray without ceasing, but also men on their knees and women on their knees like David, Psalm 55, where he cries out to God. He says, evening, the morning, the noon, will I cry unto you? This kind of prayer. Or maybe like Daniel when the, the governors and the satraps made the, made the king sign, King Darius signed a decree saying that nobody can worship anybody or pray to any other person except you, O king. And what does Daniel do? Hey, he goes to his room, opens up there in Jerusalem as loud as he can be in a sense. Three times he gets on his knees and prays. That's the kind of people that we need to become. And of course, Jesus himself was a great example of a man of prayer. Says all through the gospels that he often withdrew to pray. He was up all night in prayer. Anybody ever been involved in an all night prayer vigil? Maybe. We did that years ago at the Nazarene church that I came from. That was crazy. Most of the thing we heard was snoring, but it was actually a pretty cool time. It was, you know, it was all night prayer vigil, man. But Jesus, of course, is praying for us even now. He ever lives to make intercession. So he's a man of prayer. And we got to quit making excuses, right? Amen. We all have the time. There's not a person out there that doesn't have the time. You just have to designate the time. You got to make the time. Why? Second Chronicles, of course, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and what? And pray and seek my face and turn from their ways. Then, then I will hear from heaven. I'll answer their prayer and I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Become serious. Number two, all things. Above all things, love. Serious about prayer, serious about love. But this idea of, of all things means supreme importance. Um, Paul said the same thing in Colossians chapter three. I won't make you turn there, but I love how he puts it because he puts a lot of things, a lot of characteristics that we're to have 
but he puts them really below love. He says, therefore, chapter 3, verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, those who have been elected to salvation through belief in Christ, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. That's a list to work on right there, amen? Bearing with one another, putting up with that neighbor, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And think about it. Think about it. All the hatred, all the violence, all the racism, all the prejudice, all the division, all the yuck, all the evil, the wicked going on right now could simply be cured by the love of God. And you you can't legislate morality. You can't force people to do this or to do that or do that. That's only going to happen as it's happened in you and our lives when the Spirit of God comes upon a man or a woman and saves them and changes them and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in them, like Chet told us last week, that's when the change comes. That's the kind of love that can come out of us. And imagine if that's what's happening. And if we as Christians are the ones being the example of true love out there, how could it change this world? Nothing else is going to change it. And nothing else will change a man or a woman except the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot change. You change a person's heart and you change their life forever. The way they think, the way they act, how they treat other people. You try to educate people, they're going to go back to their own prejudice. They're going to always turn back to what they think is right. Man, it can all be cured. It's the fruit of the Spirit, you guys. Love is proof that I know him. Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have these in your heart? Above all things, love. Number three, is your love growing cold? In Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said, speaking of the time after the rapture or before the rapture, says that because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold because sin will abound because people are gonna continue to sin against you and do things that offend you and make you mad and you're upset about and everything that your love, your heart's just going to turn cold. And of course, sin is rampant everywhere, you guys. It's the last day scenario that will come because all are sinners. And of course, we are being sinned against. And there's a challenge there. Man, I got to turn away from that. And these things that keep happening against you only, only have, have to bring out of us instead of hatred and a rejection, a surrender to the love of God, to treat people, to love them as Christ did from the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The thing that Stephen did when he was being stoned and he said, he looks up to heaven and says, Lord, do not charge this sin against them. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Man, and and love that is growing cold, guys, it's evidence. I check my own heart. Man, hey, you would rather let a relationship go than try and work through it. It's that, you know, I'm just done with you. I'm done. Yep. Tried this, tried that, tried that. You know, scratching your name off my list. Or you'd, you would rather stick to yourself. That, oh, I'm moving to Idaho. I'm getting out of this place. I'm getting any far from people as I possibly can get. 
You'd rather stick to yourself rather, rather than reach out. Just basically, you're saying, leave me alone. Love is growing cold. Or this is a little bit more personal with the phony right there, is that you're blocking more people and you're, you're defriending more people on your social media than you were accepting. No, nah, no, nah, didn't like what that person said. Oh, can you believe that person gave me that kind of reply? Didn't give me a little smiley face. It gave me just maybe a little, oh, no, done. You know what I'm talking about. If that is happening, and this is for you to think about your own heart, if there's a tendency more like, you know what, the cool thing is they don't even know that I've done this. Unfriend, 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 unfriend. Block that call, block that call, block that caller. Oh, I didn't get the call. <laughs> I blocked your number. I don't want you bugging me no more. Is your love growing cold? Number four, be ready for greater warfare. And it's kind of crazy. And you think about what's happening in this world. It's like a collective madness that's just stirring up and getting more and more and more and more and more and more intense, crazier and crazier. And if Peter could see the signs of the times, and we can see the signs of the times of the Lord's coming, so can the enemy. Got to remember, the enemy knows the word of God way better than we do. Now, he does not know the time that Christ is going to return, but he can sure see the signs as well. He's causing a lot of these signs. He knows God's word. And the passage of scripture in Revelation 12, 12, it's speaking of the time of the tribulation, but it's apparent even now that the enemy knows that his time is short. It says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the heavens of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Greater spiritual warfare. The armor has to be on. You have to be in the word. You have to be in prayer. Why? Because you're in a battle. This is war, you guys. And it's war for your soul. It's war for the souls of our family members and people in this world. We got to be ready. So tonight, what was the P? Serious about prayer. L, serious about love. S, serious about serving. And maybe tonight there's been a bit of conviction. And maybe there's a need for some rededication here to being a man or woman of prayer. Maybe tonight's that, that message where it just finally pushed you over this. You know what? That's it. That's it. I'm in. I'm in. I'm designating. I'm setting aside the time. I'm rededicating my life to you, Lord, in prayer. We're not talking salvation. Because you pray or don't pray it, it's, it's, you're not, it's not salvation. It's you and what prayer does for you in the midst of the spiritual warfare and the suffering, the persecution that's going on. Peace with God, communication with God, more time with him. Wow, what, what a, wouldn't that be awesome to be able to do that all day long? I heard of one amen over here, one, one amen over here. But also this area of love. Maybe there's some conviction. Maybe your love is growing cold. Maybe you're watching the news too much and you see all this stuff and you're just angry as can be and your heart's growing cold towards everybody. You know, we need to step out of this bubble that the enemy has over the United States and the world and remember that our citizenship is where? We're not of this earth, folks. This is not our home. We're on a mission trip to the United States sent from God from heaven to reach people here. And yet we act like, this is home, like, man, I'm all here. I got to hunker down. This is, no, no, this isn't it. This is nothing. 
we got we to gotta not be so serious about this earth and be serious about the things of God, especially when it comes to this area of love. So maybe, maybe that's happening in your own life. But also maybe this area of, of serving. You know, you, you did that. I already did my 10 years. I already did. I served at the church. Like, I, you know, it's for the younger folks, whatever. But P- Peter made it super simple. The world's coming to win. Pray, love, serve. Pray, love, serve. Are you serving somewhere? Are you serving his people here? Are you serving God's people out there? Some way, somehow, use the gifts that God has given you for his kingdom because he is coming back. It may not be in our lifetime, but when you look around the world, I don't know about you, but to me, it's looking pretty crazy, especially in light of the days of Noah and the days of Lot, as we can see that like never before in our own lifetime. So I'm going to have you all stand, and I'm going to pray. I'm not going to have anybody come forward or raise hands or anything like that, but you need, of course, confess your situations to the Lord yourself. Lord, I'm convicted tonight. I'm not condemned. I'm convicted. I want to be more of a man or woman of prayer. And it starts either tonight or tomorrow morning. Or maybe you're convicted seriously in this area of love. Loving God and loving others. This love will cover a multitude of sins. And man, do we ever need that kind of love. Amen? Or maybe this is the area of serving that you're convicted in. And you know that God's been speaking, he's been knocking, and you've been dodging the pastors. I don't want to be an usher. I don't want to be security. I don't want to be children's ministry. I don't want to be youth. I don't want to be, I just want to sit. Maybe that's what's going on. But God is speaking. I'm going to pray for you. You settle with him. And I just pray that all of us recognize that, man, the end of all things is at hand. The Lord could come tonight, but we need to be busy about his business. Simple message, simple instructions from Peter. I love it. Prayer, love, serving. Amen. Father, thank you for these that are here tonight. And Lord, just this um, unexpected opportunity And yet, Lord, you knew that I would be here. You knew that they would be here. And you knew the word that I would share. So I do pray if there's any here tonight, Lord, who've heard your voice and you've been knocking, you've been speaking to them in this area of prayer, Lord. And as they in their own hearts just say, Lord, I want to be that man or that woman that seeks your face, that is always in communication with you, that Others around me would see, not in a prideful way, but they would see that I am a man or a woman of prayer. And Lord, in this area of love as well. Father, you know that that truly is, even like that song in the 60s with Dionne Warwick, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And Lord, we pray you would help it even to start right here as it is, as it has, Lord. As, as we know, there's, there's great lovers in this congregation, Lord. Speak and minister to that area as well. Maybe the love is growing cold. God, rekindle that fire afresh and anew to be known as a man or a woman who loves people no matter what. And Lord, in this area of serving, that Lord, the gifts, the wonderful, beautiful gifts that you've given, that all of those that are here tonight would know those gifts, they would be encouraged in those gifts, and they would be empowered in those gifts by you to use them for your glory, for your kingdom. And Lord, they would seek out those areas where they could be used by you for your kingdom. So bless them, Lord, tonight again. We lift up Pastor Jeff and Connie and the family, praying grace, mercy, and peace on them. Bless us now, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name.